We're back to the Neil Haley Show here on the Caregiver Dave Celebrity Segment. I'm excited to welcome the program Caregiver Dave Nassani. Dave, how are you? What's going on, man? I'm awesome. Uh, what a great time to be alive. <laughs> now, I think it's a great time to be alive because of social audio. I yeah. am just becoming this kind of kid in the candy store. First clubhouse. Now I'm doing a fireside chat every day live. So if you guys want to hook up the fireside, all you got to do is DM me and you can be part of the pilot and living on clubhouse all the time. Plus doing all my radio and TV. I don't know how I have time, Dave. Plus run three. Time. This is my third radio show today and uh, it's just going to get worse, <laughs> but uh, hey, I'm excited I to be here. I'm spending all this time doing even more than I usually do, which is five yeah. hours of programming. The more I talk every day, the better I get. It's nice. Well, it's called practice, you know, and so I'm, I'm either running the gas station or taking care of my wife's uh, needs. I'm her caregiver. Or lately, I've been doing uh, gas station uh, interviews on uh, TV channels all across the country, talking about why the price of gas is going up. And it's so cool now because I used to have to hop on a plane, make reservations, get a hotel and and all of that. And I just have to go on my computer now. So it's never been easier to be on TV. Awesome. So our guest, again, this time you're, you've connected me to this guy. Great. I did. I did. Celebrity. Of- I love talking to entrepreneurs because guess what? If I can somehow figure out what they did to become unbelievable. <laughs> Famous is, is an easier thing, I think, than becoming wealthy and to be able to be the guy that runs lots of things. That's, what I, that's a goal of mine someday. And I'm not giving up on that goal at 48. But Dave, introduce our guest. Larry Broughton, uh, many of them, many people know him of his fame of uh, Hotel Impossible, Travel Channel, been on eight seasons, I believe. But Larry has an interesting background. I'll let him uh, talk about it, but he's got a picture of Duke behind him because they had something in common. They were in (laughs) special forces. So Larry, welcome to the show. Dave, it is great to connect with you again, my friend. How are you? I'm, I'm awesome. Larry and I know each other from a mastermind, uh, Craig Dustwalt. Rock, we're both rock stars. And, and so uh, I, I, I'm just so humbled and honored to know him. And I'm grateful that he's on the show. Why don't you start, Larry, just telling us, uh, you know, not from the cradle, but uh, yeah. how you got into the uh, Marines, how you got into the restaurant business. Let's just start there and get all that out of the way. Well, I wasn't in the Marines. We ate Marines for breakfast. Um, so <laughs> That'll tell I, you how much I know about Special Forces. <laughs> so, um, you know, I started out, you know, I barely graduated high school. How about, how's that? And, um, but what I found is that uh, I had a passion for martial arts. And um, through a kind of crazy sequence of events, I had heard that the army was going to be sponsoring a Taekwondo team for the Olympics in 1984, uh, I guess it was. And um, I ended up going down to the army recruiter's office and um, not knowing what I didn't know. He finally said to me, you know, if you want to be on the army Taekwondo team, you've got to be in the army. I uh, thought they just sponsored it. Um, I barely graduated high school. As it turns out, I'm dyslexic. But I ended up taking their ASVAB, which is the Armed Services Vocational Aptitude Battery, which is basically an IQ and aptitude test. I scored really high on it. And the recruiter said, listen, um, you scored in the top one-tenth of one percent in the country. You could basically do whatever you want in the Army. Um, Unless you want to be an officer, then you've got to go to college. But he said you could even try out for Special Forces. Wow. And just the way he said it. (laughs) 
that's awesome. What is it? You know, and he said, you know, it's the Green Berets. And I still didn't know what he was talking about. So we went through a, so we talked about, you know, John Wayne from the movie, The Green Berets. And then he, that year, a movie was coming out called uh, First Blood, Rambo. Yeah, yeah. One of my favorite movies. I love oh, it. is that right? Yeah. And so he said, go watch that. It was basically, that's a propaganda film, basically. But anyway, I said, <laughs> sign me up. I'm doing it. He said, the problem is, if you don't make it in any of the courses along the way, basic training, your advanced individual training, jump school, any of the other training, you're out. You go up for what's called worldwide assignment. Anyway, I made it. I went in, um, went through the uh, special forces training, did really, really well there. Got wow. assigned to an amazing group and an amazing team traveled around quite a bit, um, you know, on a couple of different deployments had realized that um, I really had a, a hankering or an interest in public policy, international relations, um, at the same time was getting jaded with the way the media was portraying what was going on in the world, because I was overseas at one place, my folks would send me newspaper articles, I said, well, that's really not what's going on, <laughs> you know. And so I thought maybe I could make a bigger impact by working in the State Department, running for political office or something like that one day. My first job out of the military was as at a night auditor at a little no-tell motel in San Francisco. I went in 11 o'clock at night, got off at 8 or 7 in the morning. And this is in the Tenderloin, um, which is basically a, a ghetto area in, in San Francisco. And um, after being there for a few months, an investment group came in to buy the place and renovate it and turn it into one of the first boutique hotels in the country. Wow. To make a very long story short, I ended up falling in love with the hotel industry at the same time, falling out of love with the idea of running for political office because I'd worked on yeah. several campaigns on both sides of the aisle and realized they're a bunch of idiots. They're a bunch of idiots. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't have thick enough skin for it. And what I loved about the hotel industry is that it just really let me exercise a lot of my strengths and interest in right. leadership, team building, marketing, finance, real estate, you name it. Dave, you know, from running your business, you, you're not just a own gas stations. I mean, there's a lot of details that go into owning a business, right? So uh, in a 14 year period, we picked up about 14 hotels in the San Francisco area. And it was the late nineties at that point, And I had realized Although I'm a part, I'm, I became a partner in that company, and although I was the number two person in the organization, I was never going to be what I call the primary leader. I was always going to be stuck in a secondary leadership role. Dave, you know me. I am not. I'm a CEO type. I'm the top dog. I'm the alpha of the, of the organization. <laughs> so anyway, so I left and started my own thing. I've been 20 years ago now. And uh, so now I've got a hotel company based here in uh, Orange County, California. Wow. We have hotels in Chicago and California. And uh, the last year has been rough, but we're about to go into a pretty expansive growth phase. So that's kind of the, so the thumbnail. There's been you, a lot of ups and downs since <laughs> since then. So you cut your teeth a lot in that process, the years to move up the ladder to the second in command at that hotel chain, right? Yeah, and I think it's a classic mistake, Neil, that a lot of folks make who get into the entrepreneurial space is they try to jump right into a, an industry or an ownership role in an industry where they have zero experience. Oh, wow. and they can't figure out why is it. I've got this great idea to start a restaurant or to do something and they've got zero experience and can't figure out why are they, they floundering. And so one of the things I happen to do is write books. And in one of the books I wrote called Victory, 
um, I have a section in there called Intel. And um, I really encourage people, do your homework. Do your flipping homework before uh, you launch exactly. off into a business in a, in a new industry. Yeah, yeah, you're such a ray of hope, Larry, to kids out there who might be dyslexic, who might not have... Oh, yeah you know, an education, uh, maybe not even a high school education, that there's mm. still hope for them. You know, yeah. there's such a, a drive today to go to college, go to college, go to, okay, so you go to college, now you owe uh, some bank $300,000 and you're yeah. underground before you even get started. And now you can't get a job and, and maybe you're working at a hotel. Yeah, well, I'll say, say this, Dave, you know, I am a proponent of higher education. That doesn't mean I'm a proponent of the university system <laughs> at this point. I am highly educated at this this point. I do not have a bachelor's degree, though, but um, I am probably two quarters away from getting a bachelor's degree. But I've attended Stanford's executive program for two years, um, and I've done countless reading and seminars and conferences. And I'm just an av- I'm dedicated to lifelong learning, right? And yeah. you, you've got to figure it out though, because you're right, Dave. There are a lot of people who, like me, were told. I'll give you two quick examples here. Um, I remember going from eighth grade into high school, right? And going to right. meet with the new high school guidance counselor. And I remember she sat me down and said, okay, now what do you want to be when you grow up? Basically, what do you want to study? Oh, love that one, right? Yeah. And I told her, well, I want to be a veterinarian. And she literally laughed, looked at me and chuckled and said, honey, you're not smart enough to be a veterinarian. Oh my. All right. So when you have an authority figure tell you, who's supposedly like a guidance counselor, honey, you're not smart enough. Exactly. Guess what? You, you own that. I'm not smart enough. Exactly. Right? And so Dave, I think you're right. There's going to be people out there who are not afraid to talk about failures and people telling them that what they, that, you know, that they're never going to make it. Yeah. Um, I didn't have any of those kind of real role models growing up. I didn't know anybody who was talking about, Hey, you want to be successful um, you're gonna have to fail a lot along the way. Yeah. I think it's easier now, of course, with the internet and all that kind of stuff. But that's kind of a quick example of Dave that, yeah, I, th- I think that um, I do recognize that whether I like it or not, whether I realize it or not, um, people are watching me. Yeah. And we all need to, we all need to be aware of that. And I've got young children, well, not so young anymore, a 19 year old and a 17 year old. And believe me, I'm very cognizant that particularly my son watches every move I make, every interaction I make, every phone call I'm on when I'm in the car, right. he's watching, right? Yeah. So, yes. And so talking about the learning, yeah. I was interested in seeing that. So basically, you're not saying to entrepreneurs, don't start a business, but first get the education, either learn from it or study it and study what it takes, do an apprenticeship. You're pretty much your mindset that if you learn uh first of all i think i, I kind of did that larry in my business where i worked like as a vice president of operations for a network marketer that wanted to build his brand and mm-hmm. i had to do all of the legwork to do in building his brand yeah. and i learned those things from him before i decided to just do that myself and see mm-hmm. i love that and teaching same way you know taught in the classroom then saw okay tutoring is more for me i like working on one-on-one but i cut my teeth doing that so you're seeing a lot of times the mistake entrepreneurs make is not willing to learn things before starting them, thinking I can run this, I can understand this, but they've never done it themselves. Neil, I see this all the time where Dave and I met. So I'm uh, Craig Doeswalt has got a, um, 
a mastermind group. Uh, I'm one of his trainers. So I'll come in from time to time and do a keynote speech or do a breakout session or whatever for his, his, uh, his folks. And so I do that with a lot of trainers, you know, universities, those kind of things. And I always do what we call hot seat sessions where I'm there, somebody comes up to the room, they share, share with us their biggest challenge, opportunity, or idea. And oftentimes, well, there will be people who will come up and say, hey, I've got this great business idea. I'm going to use one of the most common ones. It has to do around food and beverage. My grandmother has a barbecue recipe, for instance, or I make a mean chili. And so I'm going to open a restaurant or I'm going to launch a barbecue brand. Okay, tell me your background in F&B, food and beverage. Zip, but they're going to go out and do this, right? Now, I'm not saying that people who have zero experience in an industry are not going to make it. I'm just talking, I'm a data person. I'm always looking at numbers. I can tell you this, the likelihood that you will fail and fail miserably without having experience in those industries is pretty close to 100% likely that you're going to fail. Okay, now, if that's not a problem for you, great, because you can fail and learn and do it over again. But you have to, at a minimum, at a minimum, you got to have a mentor who's got experience doing this, you know, Um, but I prefer Neil, go out and get some experience. Like you said, an apprenticeship, crying out loud, go do it, be an intern someplace, be at least a, go wait tables in a restaurant, be an admin assistant to a restaurant general manager for some period of time, even if it's a side hustle and you're doing it on weekends and at night, get some experience in the industry. So at least, you know, the lingo for crying out loud, you know, because oftentimes if you're launching a business, the ones that struggle the most are the ones that are bootstrapped and have no financial backing yeah. behind them, right? Because you got to have cash reserves. Cash flow, cash flow can, is one thing that they don't teach entrepreneurs. And so no, they talk a lot about profit, but they don't talk cash yeah. flow is king. Because you, you, at times you're waiting on clients to pay you. You're waiting right. on certain people. You need cash flow to keep the business running till you know you'll get that money. But ultimately, th- those are the things that they just don't explain. That's absolutely right. And then if you're going to go out and raise money from other people, right, investors, it sure would be nice that on your bio and your business plan, when you're talking about why me, that you can say, hey, I've actually worked in the industry. It just makes it a whole lot easier. So that's an important thing. But then the thing they also make a mistake is you do it all your own, then you go out to try to raise money. And yet you can't duplicate the system, Mm because that's what also investors are looking at. If you can't duplicate that, if you died tomorrow, just drop dead, the company would still be working. If yeah, that's not also, the case, you've not created a system then. Neil, you're you're hitting the nail right on the head. In that book I talked about, it's called Victory. Um, there's a, the O is uh, operations and systems. The real value in a business is exactly what you just said. Can it be replicated? If you were to walk, if the owner were to walk away from the business, are there operations and systems that are in place that the new co, new buyer comes in, new owner comes in and can just run it without you? If you can do that, then you've got a real business that has some real value. So that's the interesting thing when they teach and I'll let Dave go back. I'm sorry. You get an entrepreneur like this, Dave, my brain is going. And I'm just (laughs) back on again to talk about that. The, the one getting them for free, like, come on now, that's, I'll take it. Right. And then we'll go to the last next question. Dave, I'm following up one more time. Then Dave can go back and take back to the other portion. But the fact is when you talk about why do people say to niche, if the fact is that your business is a digital marketing company, yet you should only niche in one area. 
I wanted to ask that question to you and I do digital marketing, marketing, but they, when I go on this platform called clubhouse, they say you should only niche in one area, like one area or you can't succeed. Do you believe that or not? Not necessarily. I think it really depends on the, the person. I am multi, I have multi-interest. I get them multifaceted and I know that I'm not for everybody. The reason I think that it's a good idea for some to focus on a niche is that they don't have, um, the lingo or a lexicon to effectively communicate in other industries. And I'm a big believer in when you grow your business to tap into affinity groups first. Okay. And so what's an affinity group? All right. So let's see here. Um, I was a martial artist. I was in Boy Scouts. I wrestled. Um, I was in the military. Um, I enjoy politics. I can go to those folks and have an immediate uh, emotional connection with them. Like if somebody to say, Hey, Larry, um, go talk to golfers. I'd be like deer in a headlight. I wouldn't know how to talk to golfers. I don't, see, I know that's nothing a smart niche way about golf. And then yes. I'll get back to that and we can go to the next Dave's question. So I want to keep more of the topic of your life, not picking your brain. Go Dave. <laughs> but I, but I have to see that that's what I've told. Yeah. You come on niche down a certain target market who your target market is. You don't have to niche on services. You no, think, no, I agree with you. I, I agree with you on that. Yeah. You know, like podcasters, authors, yeah, small business owners. Yeah, that's all I want to focus on. I don't want to focus on the as long as you can service all of those folks with excellence. That that's the new standard in business. Like mediocre and good is good enough is not. That's death that in today's really environment. Yeah. Yeah. We should have you on the show again, where we just pick your brain on entrepreneurial things. I know leadership is is a big thing for you. Mm-hmm. So we'll talk about um, right now the the debate, the great debate. Are entrepreneurs born or are they made? Because maybe you're just somebody who needs to punch a clock for the rest of your life and you have that security of the paycheck yeah. and you can't handle, you know, 2001 where you're in the whole industry almost went extinct like you did. Share some of the uh, qualities, shall we say, or uh, entrepreneurial skills that that made you sit here today and be a survivor and not one of the uh, (laughs) casualties? Yeah, that's a great way to put it. So one of the things that, um, why I love the entrepreneurial arena is that it is just not, it is an arena. I love Teddy Roosevelt's, um, the the segment from his speech called, um, was it Citizens in the Republic or something like that, um, where it's the man in the arena uh, quote. He talks about basically you have to have a warrior spirit that it's not the, the 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 person who just points out hey you stumbled there the person who really counts is the person who's in the arena getting bloodied and marred and you know kicked in the teeth you gotta have a warrior spirit if you're going to be a successful entrepreneur so are they born or versus are they made i think anyone can learn dave the nuts and bolts the data points of business that's an easy thing the hard thing is, do you have the um, a, cu- a few things? Do you have a tenacious spirit, right? And I'm not talking about the never, never, never quit. I, I'm not a believer in never, never, never quit. Um, I think that there are too many people who have driven their life and their families right off a cliff because they didn't quit. To me, um, there's a difference between quitting and um, saying enough is enough. Quitting is if I have not exhausted all avenues, if I've not really given 100%. 
If you've not done that, then yeah, give a hundred percent, exhaust all the avenues, and then say, ah, you know, enough is enough. I've I've done this too hard, too much. I mean, I've, I've you know, I don't have any other avenues. But I think tenacity eats talent for lunch is one of my mantras. You know, there are a lot of talented people out there, but when the going gets tough, they surrender. Yep. So that's a mindset thing, right? You've got to have a warrior mentality if you want to be successful in the entrepreneurial arena. That is not, I don't think you're born with that. I think that through life's circumstances and events, you get kicked around enough, you get bloodied enough, you have enough crises and you face enough adversity and you start realizing, hey, there's actually opportunity in getting punched in the face as a kid. Because I learn. I, 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 taught my, I talk to my son about this all the time. I think that every, and this is going to piss some of your listeners off probably, I think that every young boy, young man needs to be in at least two fights in their, in their life. One where they beat somebody up, where they learn that, that, that there's real responsibility in that, and they, but they also learn what it feels like to be a, a good victor, but they need to get the snot kicked out of them once in a while too, too to learn humility, right? Yeah. And um, Neil's a wrestler. I'm sure you did both of those. Um, for yes. wrestling, <laughs> even though it was uh, staged, I've beaten the heck out of people because yeah. they just messed up a match. And I got my kick, my teeth kicked in. Yeah, so I messed up on something, and they broke a chair over my head, or oh, yeah. me up bad. So yeah, yeah. Well, I've roughed someone and, up, and they've roughed me up. Yeah, and even if it's not the physical thing, I think that people need to have real failures in their life because they learn that they can overcome these things, right? Um, so that's one of the things, Dave. But also, you know, I mean, there's there's tons of lessons I can share with you on 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 this stuff, but I, I think that facing adversity and just having a, a mindset that good things are going to come from this if I make them good things. Because yeah. I could easily, hey, a year ago, I could have easily curled up in the fetal position and just let life happen to me and close the doors like a lot of hoteliers did. Yeah, definitely. You could have. Yeah. Well, I, I got a letter from you or an email, whatever it was, mm -hmm. uh, I don't know, in March or so, just when this yeah. started. Right. And you were just saying, hey, you know, things are pretty rough. Uh, I've exhausted all my avenues and it, it's humbling for me to, to say what I'm about to say, but go ahead and share what that letter was. In. Yeah. Um, I don't remember the details. I probably blocked it out for good reason, <laughs> <laughs> but I'll preface it with this. The average business in the U S has 29 days of cash flow. True. Let that sink in first 29 days of cash flow. the average business, which means, a lot of them don't have that much. Now, we generally would carry about 75 days of cash flow. And I just knew when this, again, I'm just kind of a student of public policy. I knew that the crap that we were being fed back in um, March of last year, that this is going to be quick. We just need to flatten the curve and we're all going to be out. Of this. I knew that once this started, this was going to be a long, hard road. Yes. I knew it was going to be miserable. And I just knew because a light switch happened. We went from uh, February of 2020 having a record year. And as an industry, not just our company, but our company too, a, February is a record month, right? To March, it's like they turned off a light switch where revenue was cut by 100%. What business ever budgets for a 100% drop in revenue? Most of us will, you know, we'll have contingencies. We'll say, okay, what could it possibly be off this year? 20%? Nah, it's not going to be off 
nobody ever does that, but for it to drop by a hundred percent. And so Dave, I knew that, um, that with my line of credit and with everything else going on, that I predicted that this was going to go on through the end of the year and that there's probably going to be about a $350,000 shortfall just for the management company. And I'm not talking about the hotels that had a different way to fund, fund those. I'm talking about just our management company. Right. And so um, I talked to my mentor and my board of advisors and um, said, listen, and by the way, th this included me not taking a salary. Okay. Cause I said, I'm not going to ask my team members to take pay cuts to go to be furloughed if I'm going to stay on salary. So I haven't taken, I haven't taken a paycheck since February late, you know, the last payroll oh, gosh. in uh, February of last year. So now what month are we in? Is that month number 14 or 15? Right. Wow. Um, so there's that we ended up, um, I think during the, from the peak in February to the bottom, I think there was about 80% of our workforce was either furloughed or laid off. Um, that last part of uh, March into early April, 100% drop in revenue. And it averaged out to be about a 70% drop in revenue for the, for the year. So Dave, I just knew that without revenue coming in, but I was still contractually obligated to provide services to all of these hotels that I was gonna have a $350,000 shortfall. And I didn't panic, but I was very nervous. And, um, and so I just did basically a public plea and said, hey, friends and family, I know that we're, we're not all in the same boat because we're not, you know, but we're all in the same storm. And if you've got it in your heart, I've got this, I'm expecting a $350,000 shortfall. And if you want, I would really be, feel blessed if you just help us out a little bit. Now we got a little bit of help from people, not, you know, $350,000, but we got about a 10th of what we had asked for, but that helped that cut that covered a month of shortfalls and on uh, the management company. Right. Um, and, um, that, that gave me a little bit of hope. Now we got some haters, uh, from, the, from that. And we could talk about that if you want, but I had, <laughs> I had CEOs from other companies calling me who were just, like in tears, like, can I talk to you? Cause I can't talk to anybody else, you know, who were absolutely panicked and would not go public. I had people connecting me with, uh, connecting with me on LinkedIn who said, I wish my CEO would have done this because my CEO, we haven't seen in weeks. Oh, and the boy. first time we saw our CEO, he came in and laid off 60% of our company. Oh my gosh. So, uh, based on, so based on that experience, are you on the right track before we go to Dave's yeah. last question? Yeah, it's been, um, it's, Neil, it's been a very challenging time, but we had to pivot, of course, and we've been scrambling. And I'm, I feel very, very optimistic about our long-term and midterm future. Um, we're developing a fund uh, at this point. Um, things have turned. I mean, they're not near what they were in 2019. Um, but um, people are tra traveling again, you know, since about Christmas time of last year, we're seeing, you know, it's actually going up. And then March was very strong. April's going to be strong. People aren't paying the average daily rate that they used to pay, but the occupancy is, is there. So how many, how many hotels do you have? And did you lose any during this? Yeah, good question. Yeah. We've got nine in the portfolio at this point. We did lose a couple um, due to sale. Um, one of them is actually still closed. 
um, but we are doing what's called Project Room Key in Los Angeles, where we're actually housing people that are in transition. Uh, we are renovating the hotel anyway, adding some you know retail to the property. So that kind of helped out with that individual uh, hotel. Um, it's been a humbling experience for the entire industry. And it's one of the things I think is one of the opportunities that's come out of this is that um, we had some new, younger managers in our organization who'd never been through an economic downturn before, right? And so I was saying earlier, you know, that with crisis and adversity comes opportunity. Well, the opportunity for them, and they were panicked. You could see in their eyes fear, yeah. right? And I feel like during times of crisis, the best communication is over communication. And so I just say, hey, we're going to be we're in this together. I'm going to coach you through this. And they are stronger now than ever. You know, it's like taking a private into combat and you see a couple of firefights. And next thing you know, you're like a grizzled veteran, you <laughs> right. know, a couple months later. And that's what this is like. These, these folks are going to be some, I'm convinced these young people will be some of our best leaders um, going forward. Now, there's a reason why the, what we call the greatest generation was considered yeah. the greatest generation. And it's not because they went and fought in World War II, I believe. I'll argue with anybody on this. I believe that the reason that generation is called the greatest generation is because they went through the Great Depression before they went to war. Okay. The reason they were able to go to war and be selfless is because they learned, that, learned during the Great Depression that they needed to be selfless. Yeah. All right. So, Dave, yeah. your, your caregiver, Dave, question. Because I don't uh -oh. know if you ever asked Larry that question. So as you know, Larry, my wife um, had a stroke 25 years ago, yeah. lost her speech, became paralyzed. Yeah. I became her caregiver, didn't know what I was doing, made mm -hmm. all the mistakes in the book. Now I'm Dave, the caregiver's caregiver, turned lemonade into uh, lemons into lemonade, I should say. Huh? Um, now I'm helping caregivers uh, and people who are going to become caregivers to realize that 30% of them are dying and that everyone's gonna eventually become one or need one. So now's mm -hmm. the time to learn how to be a caregiver. So my question mm -hmm. to you is how has caregiving touched your life? I mean, everyone has parents, grandparents and so on. Yeah, how has caregiving touched my life? Um, well, listen, so I am a single dad right now. I don't have, I've got a couple of friends who I would say um, would, if I were to call them and say, hey, I'm in need, they would come to me, you know, they would, they would serve me. Um, my parents both passed away within 48 hours of each other, uh, a bunch yeah. of years ago. And, um, prior to their death, I was one of the caregivers financially, emotionally, you know? And so, um, it's interesting. I've, I've got a friend right now who's literally like, as we speak is in the hospital with uh, a very rare form of, of cancer. And it's, and it's, not looking so good. Um, and she doesn't have a bunch of people around her right now. I've seen there are some people who treat caregiving with um, compassion, right? And um, I've also seen people who've been in caregiving situations where there's resentment and anger yeah. build, builds up. And I've been there. I've been, I've been one of those people where I've been asked to care for someone and because I wasn't healthy, I wasn't providing the care that I should have been been giving. Now, thank goodness this person wasn't dying. They weren't in a terminal position. Um, 
but they needed care and I wasn't in an emotional state to give it. So it's touched you, me on both sides. You didn't have sides. your oxygen mask on first. Exactly. That's a great analogy. I did not have my oxygen mask on first, right? And I didn't have a compassionate heart at the time either. Um, and that took some real work uh, to, to get there. So it's, you're right. I, you know, with the number of baby boomers that we have right now in the world, um, particularly here in the U.S., you're doing a great service, my friend, because we all need this for, for sure. There's a shortage, um, shortage of uh, care facilities, shortage of caregivers. You know, who's going to take care of grandma? Um, it's right, a concern. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, long-term yeah. care insurance, uh, a tiny portion. We of don't market. talk about it enough. That's, that's for sure. Exactly. And my sense is that we probably ought to be thinking about ourselves, not, like who's going to take care of me, not leave it up to family members to figure out how am I, how am I going to care for grandma? Well, guess what? If you're a grandma, figure it out. Like, Hey, this is what's going to happen. I'm going to hire somebody. I'm going to make sure that I've got the financial ability to do it because I think a lot of the mistakes come are made out of ignorance or fear. Yeah. So the best place we can connect with you, Larry, and learn more about you. Where can we go? Um, So I'm on all social media platforms. Well, yeah, all of them uh, that I, the big ones uh, at Larry Broughton, but you can just go to uh, the Larry And uh, that's uh, my website uh, or Larry Broughton.me. Either one goes to the same spot and uh, everything's on there. Hotel stuff, speaking stuff, corporate training stuff, writing hotel. It's all combined. They're all right there. All right. Well, any chance, any chance you're going to start the hotel impossible up again? No. Um, so that's, so I wasn't the, the host of that show. I was just on there a, b- a bunch of times and also used to be on, go on MSNBC's, uh, your business with JJ Ramberg a, yeah. a lot as well. I used to do a lot of TV. Um, I don't think that show is going to be brought back. Um, it may, but you know, with 2020, no one was going out and doing these live remote, uh, shoots yeah. like you know you're not doing the money exactly. tv you were doing there either for, for a while they're figuring it all out yep yeah, they're figuring it all they're out so we'll see yeah but, but right. I'm, I'm maybe you need to, to pitch it all right no you larry <laughs> you should have your own show for sure about yeah. the, on cnbc or something so you should pitch it all right i agree right. appreciate it larry. <laughs> thanks again thanks for, for coming story. it was a thanks, great story Ellen. great Thank picking you. your entrepreneurial brain and uh best of luck and if you're not on clubhouse you need to be on clubhouse with me I am on there, but I'm not active on there. So I will get there. You follow me and then <laughs> your, your buddy Glenn Morshower is very active on there. <laughs> I see that. I've heard that. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. All right. So thanks, guys. Right, guys. Take care. Thanks. We'll see you. Thank you. Bye. All right, guys. That was Caregiver Dave Celebrity Second. Take care.